are continuing uh, in a series of sermons from the book of Proverbs this morning uh, called Wise Words. Uh, First sermon a few weeks ago was about our need for wisdom. That is a a big theme in the book of Proverbs. And we talked for a couple of weeks about personal character, uh, one week about humility, then integrity. For this and the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, relationships. So first with neighbors, that's today, uh, next week friends and family after that. And when I said uh, that today's sermon would be wise, wood, wise words for good neighbors, first thing both Logan and Linda uh, said to me, our, part of our staff, in separate conversations, you mean, you mean like a good neighbor, State Farm is there? Like... Man, those guys are doing some excellent branding uh, down in Bloomington. Uh, State Farm did not create the expression, good neighbor. Uh, That slogan actually was written part of the jingle um, only 50 years ago by Barry Manilow, by the way. Um, Long before, though, good neighbor was a phrase used in state laws, uh, talking about where and how you could build a fence between two neighbors, or, and even in foreign policy between the United States and Central and South America, even going back to the 1800s. I, I can't prove to you that the idea of a good neighbor comes from the Bible. I mean, do we really need the Bible to tell you that you want to have good neighbors living around you? What the Bible does give us, though, is the call to be good neighbors. We know God's Word, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, from the Old Testament law and then reaffirmed by Jesus many times, love your neighbor as yourself. Or just as you love yourself, you need to love those around you. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the command or the rule. We're looking this morning at the wisdom, the wisdom that the book of Proverbs gives gives us to think practically how to do that or some situations where we might need to think better about how to love our neighbor. So this is the way to kind of hold this sermon together this morning. God says, love your neighbor, but how can we do that wisely and well? We're going to look at the Proverbs, and instead of taking one proverb for each point, as I have been doing, we're going to take two each point this week, and here's the first one. When good goes bad. Proverbs 25, 17 says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Whoa, that was, that's both funny and serious at the same time, right? Uh, have his fill of you. Picture somebody that's just bloated at the end of a big meal. Oh, I, can't, I cannot take another bite. And then hate, hate you. Well, wow, that, that just went dark, really extreme there. We'll, we'll come back, back to that in a minute. But we, we chuckle as we think of the neighbor who, you know, just doesn't know when to leave or the, the next door kid who just always seems to show up at dinner time. Or that, you know, co-worker who just, who's kind of always lingering at your cubicle and always seems to have just one more story. Um, you know, it, they're, they're a, might be a good friend, but after a while it just, you know, starts to get on your nerves a little bit. It gets a little annoying. This may remind you of another proverb, uh, not from the Bible. Ben Franklin gets credit for it, but it wasn't original to him. Uh, have you heard this one before? Guests like fish both begin to smell after three days, right? You, you, may be, you may be having a great time with your, your parents or your in-laws or even those precious grandchildren who have come to be with you, and now you're waving goodbye. It was so good that you came. It was so, so good that you're leaving, right? And, you know, you've, we've, we've been there. What's good went bad. 
Here's another example. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Oh, another little chuckle, right? And, but also the same way. It's, it's kind of funny, but it's also dark. Like, cursing, that's really bad. Not, not that, like, cursing you out, but really, I mean, in, scripturally, that kind of bears that same weight. Blessing and cursing, those are pretty extreme. Now, you can just picture one neighbor up at the crack of dawn dressed and heading out the door with a good morning, and you're, you know, yelling to another neighbor who is still in his pajamas, uh, and, and the grunt in reply that says, I haven't even had my coffee yet. Could you just keep it down a little bit? Or, or maybe worse, on a a beautiful fall Saturday morning, your industrious neighbor times, decides that it's time to fire up the leaf blower at 7 a.m. You thought you were going to, this is my one day to sleep in, and my neighbor is trying to land a 747 right next to my bedroom. Morning people, this proverb is for you. These proverbs are both a bit, a bit humorous, and it's pretty easy to see the, the practical application, but, but we should take longer. Again, I hope you're seeing. We have to slow down with these and, and, and reflect, meditate, chew on them to get more of the wisdom here. You, you may very well know that our English word neighbor uh, comes from, uh, refers to someone who is nigh or near, right? That's, that's simple enough to understand. And while the Bible does not limit our concern to those who live right next door, uh, these Proverbs clearly have a next-door relationship in mind, specifically most of these ones that I've chosen this morning. And that, that kind of relationship, that, that proximity, creates a familiarity, right? You know your neighbor's habits and routines, uh, what they do to relax. You see them in their uh, grubby work clothes. You hear when they argue. Uh, you may be able to smell what's cooking on the grill. That's, that's just part of life as neighbors. It becomes a problem, though, when it becomes overly familiar, when you're a little nosy, right? When you, when you put your nose your, and yourself, insert yourself into situations you do not belong. Uh, the problem comes when we are overly familiar, like there are no boundaries or limits anymore. That first proverb we looked at, twenty-five seventeen, lest he have his fill of you. Now, understand the implication there. You, as a friend or neighbor, in the right amount, I mean, that's great. But too much, it's bad. It's not so great. Your neighbor's left feeling like, oh, I am full and I can't take any more. And the word hate here at the end, lest he have his fill of you and hate you, I believe is, is something of an intentional exaggeration, or you could use the word hyperbole, right? In Hebrew, the word uh, translated as hate is related to the idea of, or is often used in the context of an enemy. So, so right here, here's the twist. When you wear out your welcome, it means even though you came as a friend, you're starting to feel like an enemy. This is when good turns bad. That, that proximity and familiarity creates the opportunity to bless or curse, to, to be a friend or to be an enemy. This is lighthearted wisdom with some serious concerns. It's, it's funny and it's not funny. We need to look at, at our own neighborliness and then ask, uh, how can I truly bless my neighbor and not feel like 
I'm cursing them. How can I love my neighbor rather than stirring up hatred? Both of these Proverbs are reminding us to take our neighbor's feelings, their preferences, their desires, their needs into account. You could be like, you could be over at your neighbor's like, I'm having a great time. I'm I'm enjoying myself. I'm eating your food and this is all fantastic. But is that how they feel at the moment? Are are they tired? Are they ready for for bed? You you might think, well, I just want to, I just want to bless my neighbors with this basket of zucchini. And they're, is that what they would enjoy? Are you just getting rid of stuff you don't want anymore? Um, Use your proximity and familiarity. Leverage that opportunity of being their neighbor to bless them in ways that only you can as one who is near. That's the wisdom here. Instead instead of them having their fill of you, leave them hungry for more. Be that kind of neighbor. And that's not just about the the frequency or the time that you spend there, the relationship that you have, the way you speak, the way you interact with them, the the acts of service that you do, leave them hungry for more. Not like, uh, please, no more. Now, if those Proverbs describe well-intentioned but annoying neighbors, these next two Proverbs in our next point kick it up a notch and not in a good way. Next, from bad to worse. Proverbs eleven twelve says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Now, we've clearly gone beyond uh, merely, you know, wearing out your welcome. Uh, belittles. Oh, but that doesn't sound too bad, right? It just belittles. Um, except what it's talking about is a, is a put-down, is, a, is a, an expression of contempt. You are beneath me. You are less than, which always, of course, is implying that I am, we are better than. Follow, and follow the flow of this proverb. If, if remains silent, the, the action verb there in the second line, is opposite the action in the first line, belittles, then this belittling is understood as a verbalized contempt. You follow that? The, 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 if the opposite, the, the, in the contrary action is, no, you should remain silent. It's, it's thinking in terms of this belittling as a verbalized contempt, not just thinking demeaning or condescending thoughts. You're verbalizing it. Now, consider that. Consider that verbalized contempt can go in a couple of ways. It can be direct or indirect, or maybe a little easier for us to follow uh, to their face or behind their back, right? To their face, belittling looks like insults or name-calling or even slurs, racial or otherwise. Behind their back, spreading rumors, gossip, slander, all belittling one way or another. Remember how we talked about in the last point about that, that proximity of neighbors and the proximity and, and that leads to familiarity? Well, when it comes to your neighbors, I mean, think about it. You, you have front row seats and season tickets to this, this ball game, right? You are right there you're, and you're watching. And you will have so many opportunities then to analyze and criticize, right? I mean, you're just watching all this. You're seeing all this play out before you. Why did they pick that color? for their new siding. It's ugly. Or, or more, more serious, 
can't you keep your idiot dog from doing his business on my lawn? Or, or talking one na- to one neighbor about the other, I can't believe how they let their little kids stay up so late and play outside. Even worse, when it, it, you can go beyond analyzing and criticizing to demonizing and ostracizing, right? Oh, well, of course their driveway is full of junk cars, bunch of rednecks. Or, you know, if there's one, fill in the ethnicity. You know, if there's one, there's pretty soon there's going to be a whole bunch of them around here. You know what, you know what that's going to do? We already know that this kind of belittling is, is bad, it's, it's wrong, but, but there is wisdom in this problem. It says this, this is not what a person of understanding, it, it doesn't make sense. You, you lack sense if you're go, doing this to, or, uh, to their face or behind their back regarding your neighbor's. Now, here's a question maybe you haven't thought to think of yet. Why does, why, or maybe why doesn't the proverb conclude with the opposite? We've, we've said uh, more than once that the two lines of the proverb work together to help us get home in on the meaning. Why doesn't, in this contrast, why doesn't it say, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding builds him up? Do you see that? Building him up would be opposite of belittling. And that would, be, that would be true, and that would be good. And we can get that from other parts of Scripture. Uh, I, think, I think of the end of Romans 12, for example. You could make a note of that and, and read that later on your own time. But think very carefully. This pro- what this proverb is doing is not then condoning a sort of silent animosity. Oh, you can, you can criticize your neighbor as long as you keep it to yourself. No, it's not giving you permission to do that, saying that's just fine. You can, you can be prejudiced as long as you can just kind of mutter things under your breath. No, it's this. Sometimes, sometimes you love your neighbor by keeping your criticism, however valid, to yourself. That's wise, and it is loving. It's, it's practical. When you, when you understand the proverb that way, it's practical because it's, well, realistic. You will see things in them that you, that you won't understand, that you won't like. That's inevitable for neighbors. But some things are just, some things are just preferences. Some things are, are just differences. Maybe culturally, background, um, education, class, ethnicity, whatever. There, some things are just cultural differences. Just, just, keep, just zip it. Keep it to yourself. Uh, you do not define what is in good taste. And then some things, some things may actually be worthy of criticism. I mean, their, their Halloween decorations might be truly obnoxious. Uh, that you, like, why do I have to look at that uh, out, of my, out of my window? Maybe so. But is it really worth damaging a relationship with your neighbor? That's just not wise. You just don't, you don't want to do that. This is... The, the, the importance of that relationship and the values that we're going to seek as we continue through here is so important. We'll talk about more about why that's a big deal in a moment, but uh, one more reason to be silent, to, to remain silent rather than belittle your neighbor, is that they could be just as critical about you as they could be just as critical of you. I know you think you're the perfect neighbor, like, I never play my music too loud. 
I, my house is, is raising the property values of everybody else on this street, uh, but especially as a Christian, especially as a Christian, you should be humble. We should be humble enough to recognize, I've got my own eccentricities, I've got my own mistakes, I've got my own sins. If somebody wanted, wanted, really wanted to analyze and criticize, they could have a field day. So I've got to remember what Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Cut, or, or we could say in, in a, cut people some slack like you would have them cut slack, some slack for you. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Hold your tongue about them like you would like them to hold their tongue about you. That's, there's some wisdom there. Be wise. Be quiet. Keep your criticism to yourself. That's, that's wisdom. Here's another way, and still in part two, how, wisdom, how neighbors can go from bad to worse. This is Proverbs 3, 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Now, this is way beyond the misstep of being, you know, a little too loud, a little too early in the morning. Planning evil. Wow, is that really a, a thing? Um, I, I'd like to think that for those of you here today, that the, maybe the worst thing would, that you would do would maybe, you know, rake your leaves to a part of the lawn where the wind is likely to blow them over to the... I, I'd like to think that's maybe the worst thing that is, would be guilty of here in this morning, but... Um, but in this world, there are some pretty nasty things between neighbors. This last week, I saw an advertisement for a new TV show on A&E called Neighborhood Wars. Uh, you know, and I thought, I think, well, maybe this is going to be, of course, this is material, right, for sermons. So this is, maybe it's just going to be silly stuff played for laughs, you know, things that they, they caught on film of people kind of doing stupid stuff. But but no, I, I, when I'm looking at it, it's, it's, it's about violence and vandalism and other kinds of criminal behavior. This is, uh, I mean, some of the clips were titled things like Nightmare Neighbor Burst Through Door to Attack Couple or Man Mistakes Neighbor for a Looter Nearly Kills Him. Like, whoa. So, I mean, I watched just two minutes and, and it's, I mean, it's over-dramatized, of course, like most reality, reality TV, right? Uh, I, I would recommend that you not watch it. Um, I only mention to acknowledge that, sadly, I'm sure that is the reality. As, as unreal as reality TV is, I'm sure that that is a reality for some people. If it's not a reality for you, thank God that you live in a safe place. But the, it's on TV, of course, because it's so horrifying. It, it, it captures, it's going to get people to, to tune in because it's like, oh my God, did that really happen? It's, it's horrifying, it's, it's on TV, but it's horrifying because... It's right next door for some people. The nearness of your neighbor might tempt them, might tempt you to take advantage of them. You don't have to case the joint. You're on stakeout every day. Just like in a marriage or family, the people that you are closest to have the most opportunity to hurt you in the deepest ways. Even, as it says here, the neighbor, the one who dwells trustingly, beside you. If you live in a safe neighborhood, thank God, thank God for the blessing of trust. Now, I don't know if you uh, lock your doors at night. Uh, if you don't, it's because you trust your neighbors. It, maybe you do lock your doors at night. Maybe you lock them every time you leave the house. 
Uh, you might even have security alarms, uh, cameras, and maybe you look fond- back fondly on a, a time, an earlier time, when, a more innocent time when we didn't need to do that. You are waxing nostalgic for a community where there is a high degree of shared trust. When trust was the norm, where people respected others and their property so that you didn't need to take extra measures for security. Peace and safety are beautiful things. They thrive in a community of trust. When trust is gone, so does peace and security, and we are seeing that more and more. We can, we can try to recapture that peace. We can try to recapture some of that security through, through uh, better policing, stiffer penalties for broken laws, maybe owning uh, firearms. That, that might reduce crime, but it does not change the character of the community. It doesn't build more trust. So, instead, brothers and sisters calling you, instead of planning evil, instead of plotting harm, what if we were a people who were, for God's sake, were strategically kind. See, instead of planning evil, instead of plotting harm, what if we were strategically kind? What if we were intentionally good? What if we were thoughtfully caring for the people around us? That's a, that's a vision. Now, we might need better policing, stiffer penalties, and a firearm, but, but this should characterize who we are distinctively as creating a different kind of community and building, or to some degree, rebuilding a community of trust. That's the beauty of living life as good neighbors. So part one of the sermon was when good goes bad. We just looked at from bad to worse. I'm calling part three good to go because when the opportunity for blessing is next door, it's good the, the good is always right there and, and ready to go. So, part three, good to go. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, the part that I want to emphasize is in those last two lines. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. It's a comparison, of course, between a neighbor and a brother. Neighbor who is near, well, that seems kind of obvious, redundant. Um, Brother who is far away. Okay, there's the difference far away that that changes the whole equation. Uh, What do you you think? What's better, brother, neighbor? In ancient times... Uh, if you're just comparing a brother to a neighbor, in ancient times especially, and to, in many ways still true today, uh, you expect your brother, you expect your kin, your blood relations to be there for you. They're, they, they're, they're going to be closer to you in, in, uh, in love and affection. They're going to be closer to you in terms of, of obligation to help, to care. Uh, but notice the, the context here. The, the situation in that second line, do not go to your brother's house um, in the day of your calamity. This is, this is the situation. This is a disaster. It is a catastrophe. And you could think, of course, a natural disaster, like a you know, tornado or a blizzard. And, uh, but, but that kind of thing is, of course, a disaster that happens to, that affects everybody on the block, right? Uh, all the neighbors affected the same. But imagine a different kind of catastrophe, a personal one, uh, maybe an ordinary one. It's a 
cold winter morning and your car won't start and you're already late. Ah, you are in trouble. What are you going to do? You know, at that point, it doesn't matter if your brother is a mechanic, if he lives in South Carolina. (laughs) Better is a next door neighbor with a pair of old jumper cables, right? That's better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. It changes the whole equation. The, The help is right there when you need it. This, um, this happened to us. If you, when you have to take your, years ago, when you have to take your toddler to the hospital, but you need somebody to take care of your infant. We, both of our parents live, Katie and I live in other states, but it was friends, neighbors, friends from our church who were near, who helped out. It's in those emergencies, those disasters, those calamities that you realize the value the, the surpassing value of a good neighbor. The help and care of someone near is better even than family if they're far away. Now, if you've needed the help of a neighbor like that, you, you get it. Are you ready? The question is, are you ready to be that kind of neighbor for someone nearby when their world is falling to the ground? When they're... When they're their life is falling apart. Are you ready to be the help they need because you're right there? Sure, you might not be family. You might not know them as well as their parents or sister or brother. But in that moment, you might be the best help that they've got. And over the years, you know, you've lived next door. Maybe, you'd, maybe you're not that close relationally. I mean, friendly, but fine. But, but it's in that time of need, you find out just how important it is to be right there. If you've experienced that help, boy, I hope you're ready to be right there for someone else. Still in part three, but the last proverb. Good to go. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. These uh, verses describe a neighbor in a situation of need who comes to you for help. And for whatever reason, stinginess or selfishness or the fact that, you know, he didn't return the the rake I gave him last year, uh, you're, you're just dragging your feet. Like, uh, I just just don't want to give it. That's the implication of you have it with you, but you say, uh, tomorrow. You really don't want to give it to him. You're you're really hoping that, you know, either this guy forgets or he he goes to somebody else and asks it, and he gets it from somebody else, so then you don't have to be bothered with it anymore. What what really makes these uh, two verses interesting I think, is the end of that first line. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. It could mean uh, pay what you owe to your workers. If you're, if you, uh, not, no, we don't have a lot of employee, employers here, but we do have some. And uh, maybe if, if you're, uh, I know we also have some uh, independent contractors here, and you appreciate when you get paid uh, what you are due. Uh, it could mean that. Pay what you owe to your workers. Don't be slow in paying what you owe because that's their livelihood. Uh, that makes sense. 
It also may point to the idea, that, and this is more controversial, that we owe help to our neighbors. Oh, like I have some kind of obligation that that is, that is what they deserve. Um, that, that's a little more, con- you know, and you're like, hey, just because, just because I live next door to this guy with all his needs and problems like, doesn't, make, doesn't mean I have to step in, doesn't mean I have to help her, or I'm not obligated to give what's mine to help her. Come on. But that's what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 10. Maybe you don't remember what's in Luke chapter 10, but you probably do remember the story of the Good Samaritan. That's in the context of a a, a young lawyer, an expert in biblical law, who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus says, well, what do you you see in the book, Um, expert in biblical law? And as well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The single greatest commandment is twofold, love God and love neighbor. Jesus says, that's right. Great, do it. And the guy, wanting to, seeking to justify himself, said, well, but, but who is my neighbor? And there we get the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't have time to go into that whole story again, but it's certainly worth reading if you don't know it in Luke chapter 10. But the, you can tell that the guy who is engaging Jesus in this conversation is hoping when he asks, but who is my neighbor? Okay, I'm so, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is that? Uh, he, I mean, this is, lawyers are, are big into definitions. Well, if you can just define the word very precisely and exactly, then we know what's within the law, what's outside the law, and where the loopholes are, right? Uh, so he's hoping to limit his obligation and improve his score. Yes, I'm obeying the law. Uh, I've, th- therefore, I know I'm, I'm good with God. But Jesus, instead of narrowing it to, well, your neighbors are just the people who live next door to you, or maybe in his context, well, you know, just, just your fellow Jew. The, those within your, within your people group, those of your ethnicity, those of your religion, those who look like you. Jesus doesn't do that. He expands the scope. He, he, he widens the scope. He expands the, obliga- the obligation of that lawyer and our obligation as well. The lesson at the, at the end of the story is basically this. Anyone in your path who is in need is your neighbor. If you're like, okay, and, and then if God says, love your neighbor, we are obligated to care. In some sense, it is their due as a fellow human being. It is their due, it is our responsibility, it is our obligation because God says so. Because Christ calls us to that if we follow him. Doesn't, it doesn't mean we do everything for them uh, or give them all that we have, but, in, but, but again, let's keep, let's keep this within the context of Proverbs. But in their need, especially when they ask and we have it with us, we have what what they need, and, and we're kind of, you know, they're at the door, and they're asking, we're like, could you come again maybe tomorrow? And we're, we're closing the door a little bit because we don't want them to see that right behind we've got what they need. Don't turn away the need that is at your door. The Good Samaritan, that's in Luke chapter 10. Luke 11 opens with Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. 
And after that familiar model prayer that, that we call the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus says this. I'm going to read from now from Luke 11, verses 5 through 13. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you any, anything. And the, the whole thing is posed as a question. Is that what the neighbor would do? I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened." What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus uses a neighbor, uh, a neighbor hesitant to give, but finally relenting to encourage us to persist in prayer to God. Not because God is standing at the door like, would you just come back tomorrow? Like he's, he's, I I got it here, but I really don't want to, I don't want to encourage your neediness. I I don't want to, I want to help. I, I, that's not, that's not what Jesus is doing in comparing uh, and using the example of this uh, neighbor The lesson is clear. He is calling us to persist in coming, in asking, in seeking, in knocking. Come to the door. Go to the door again and again, seeking for your help. Not because we do not have a grumpy neighbor. We have a good father. Even better than having a good neighbor is a loving father who has everything everything we need. So ask, he says. That should be a lesson on prayer, for sure. That's what Jesus makes clear. But, but it's also a lesson on how good God is to needy neighbors like us. We're the ones, it, when we, we're tempted to look at the needy neighbors around us, like, ah, uh, just, guess what? We're the needy neighbor. We are the needy neighbor. And when we come to God, he doesn't turn us away. He never does. That should make us eager to be good neighbors to others, not because we are like that, that uh, lawyer, that scribe who came to Jesus. Well, if I love my neighbor, will I, will I be good with God? We're good neighbors. We're generous and kind and thoughtful and caring because we've experienced the grace of God. We've experienced his goodness, his kindness, his generosity, his mercy. And so that propels us. It compels us to be good neighbors to others. To bring it back around to where we were earlier in the service, God showed his love. He shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's honor God by showing that same grace and mercy to those around us. Let's pray.
Lord, we're knocking. We're knocking at your door. God, would you open up all that you have, the abundance of all that you have and all that you are. Would you give us again what we need, what we need for daily life and and honestly, God, what we need to begin to better obey you and follow you in this same way. Lord, in, in your wisdom and in your providence, all that you have for us, all that you have for a world in need, you've entrusted to us to turn around and give to others, whether that's our material possessions or the good news of, a, of the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so to a world in need, would we be eager and ready to give as you have given to us? And we'll praise you forever in Jesus' name.